Did you know that over 60,000 new tracks are uploaded to Spotify every single day? That's a new track every 1.4 seconds, and that's just on one platform. With so much music now available, it's more important than ever to stand out from the crowd. So it's not surprising that more artists are starting to use less conventional sonic textures in their music, like field recordings. Perhaps you've always wanted to infuse the sounds of nature or your favourite city into your own tracks, but not having the right gear or knowledge might have held you back. Well, if that's the case, you're going to love the brand new guide I just created, teaching you how to start field recording with just a smartphone. And it's all yours for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel. Yep, you really do just need a humble smartphone and some minimal extra gear that doesn't have to break the bank to get started with field recording. And I've laid it all out in this handy five-point checklist. So download it for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel and elevate your music to the next level. Texture is always a balance of contradictions. It's about both light and dark. Surprise and predictability, surface and depth. It is always about something that is both, many and none of these things all at once. When we make music, we are dealing with the interplay, the unfolding, the shifting and the collapsing of some kind of textual ecosystem. Give your listeners something to bite into. Hello and welcome to Girls Twiddling Knobs. My name's Isabel, and over the last decade, my self-produced and self-released music has amassed over 25 million Spotify streams. I also have a PhD in sonic arts, but I wasn't always this confident with music tech. In fact, I still hear those self-doubt gremlins in my head from time to time. I started this podcast to help more female-identifying musicians start recording and producing their music and learn from other women making music with technology. If that's your cup of tea, then you're in the right place, my friend. Let's dive in. Well, hello, knob twiddlers. Welcome to another episode of Girls Twiddling Knobs. I am delighted to be here with you, as always. And before we kick things off today, I just wanted to give a massive shout out to all of the wonderful ladies inside of my private Facebook community, the Female DIY Musician Tribe, because as this episode goes out live this week, we reached a thousand members. I started this community nearly three years ago, and I've watched it grow and blossom in that time into a truly safe and supportive space for women in music. And that's because of each and every member. So if you're an FDIYM tribe member, thank you so much. I love holding this space for you and I'm inspired each and every week by your comments and your posts. And if you're not already a member, then definitely join us over in the private Facebook group. It's free. It's just for women, meaning anyone who identifies as female. And we have so many interesting discussions inside about recording, production, creativity, confidence, and much, much more. To find out more and join us, just go to femalediymusician.com forward slash tribe. That's femalediymusician.com forward slash tribe. But let's get into this week's topic, and it's such a juicy one. 
Today, we're exploring musical texture, but with regards to music production and therefore sound in general. And that's because, as we'll discuss inside this episode, we have so many tools that can take us far beyond the traditional textural elements inherent in music. In fact, there's never been a time in history where we have as many opportunities to really play with texture in such diverse and powerful ways. I'm also going to be taking you through a guided visualisation of all things, dear listener, to connect with texture at its more instinctual level. And we'll also cover how the technology we use to make music might impact upon the range of textures we hear within music today. Oh, and I'll also be sharing three common texture misconceptions and how to avoid these and experiment with texture in your music. Because, you know, this podcast is all about us recording and producing even better music and learning as much as possible along the way. I know, lots to cover, so let's get started. So let's kick off with why does texture even matter in music production? Well, I think really to sum this up, it's that music production is texture. The whole point of it is to imbue a track with texture through the process of creating a recording. This recording process gives us multiple options for adding texture, but the concept, or certainly the actual word, is more commonly discussed in Western classical composition. Studying sound and weaving seamlessly incompatible sounds together, in conventional music terms anyway, within my own music and sonic arts practice, really gave me a grounding in texture I hadn't experienced before. Texture can truly lift a recording from predictable or repetitive to being rich, unique and surprising. Texture is often about balance and many levels of balance, not only balancing a specific elemental factor in music like frequency, but also how this balances with other elements too, such as tempo or pitch. But texture is also about simplicity too. I like to use the analogy of food here because I love me some food. Cooking with great ingredients means your recipe can use only a limited number of elements. Simple ingredients, for example, but it will still taste amazing. Those ingredients must be well made, intentionally chosen and prepared with care and skill. And it can be the same with music too. Texture depends on the intention behind the musical decisions. Actually, it's more about making decisions around texture in the first place. And by the end of this episode, you'll have some great ideas for experimenting more with texture in your own music too. But first, let's dive a little deeper into what we mean by texture. So what is texture? Well, I like to start with really imagining texture and where better than through our bodies. Humour me here, dear listener, and just close your eyes a minute. Now, prizes for guessing what texture I'm describing right now. Imagine you raise your hand flat out in front of you as if you're a police person making a traffic stop sign. Your skin meets the surface and you're using your sense of touch to work out what it might be. It feels cold, but not wet. You can sense the coldness is coming from deep within as well as on the surface too, like this material you're touching is thick. Some parts of your hand feel slightly sore, like some bits of the surface are hard and raised. Other bits of the surface on your hand feel flat. When you take your hand away, you can feel there's a residue left. 
it's crumbly and dry and comes off when you rub your palms. Can you guess what that texture is? That's right, an old brick wall. Nice work, dear listener. Okay, let's try another one. Close your eyes again and imagine you reach your hand out. This time your palm feels something warm in front of it. It's also wet and a little bit slippery. It feels like this surface is soft to the touch, but also firm inside, like it would be difficult to sink your fingers in. Impossible, in fact. But there's something else you can feel on this surface too. It feels familiar and almost like there's some resistance when you move your palm across the surface. It's subtle but unignorable. Can you guess what this is? Wet skin with hairs. Mmm, yummy. These were both examples of textures and they hopefully demonstrate just how diverse and varied texture can be. Really coming back to our everyday sensorial experience of texture is actually really helpful to start thinking about producing your music with textural intention because it shows just how many options we have beyond the most obvious ideas. I like to imagine how I might create the idea of smoothness as opposed to sharpness with sound, for example, or coldness as opposed to warmth. This is a really creative way of organising and crafting your own sonic signature. But there are also some useful terms from Western classical music to describe elements of musical texture too. These are words like timbre, tempo, melody, harmony, rhythm and form. Tombra is less well understood but is the tone or colour of a sound and is what distinguishes the different instruments or voices that are playing or singing even if they're all within the same frequency range or musical pitch. So for example the tombra of a clarinet is different to the tombra of a violin and even when they're playing the same note we can still distinguish they're both there separately at the same time. So timbres vary across instruments, voices, but also environmental sound, sounds of machinery, sounds of animals, and then synthesised sounds too. Timbre is an interesting one for recording and producing music because we can make so many decisions about this one. But while a great starting point, these more traditional terms can also be a little restrictive when getting more experimental with texture and crafting your sound. And this is why I teach inside of Home Recording Academy, which is my own course. I teach my students to play with texture in ways beyond music. This happens in our mixing module, which is module five inside the course, where my students have a couple of exercises actually drawing the textures in their music in a type of freestyle graphic score, or they can even make it into a recipe. It's important to be free to play so you can truly widen your production horizons in the process. But there's also some really great things we can take from melody and what I'm going to call the ophonies. And there's four ophonies that I want to share with you to think about texture. The first one is monophony. So that's one single melodic line. And that is found quite often in traditional folk music, for example. Next, we have polyphony. That's two or more simultaneous melodic lines. And sometimes they can alternate in terms of rhythm and tempo and they can have a counterpoint and a syncopation. Thirdly, we have homophony. And this is a main melodic line supported by one or more additional musical lines that add harmonic support. And that's what most music nowadays is. It's um, somebody singing a lead vocal for example, and there's other parts and instruments underneath harmonising 
So that's a very common one and that's the one that we've probably heard the most. And then lastly, there's heterophony, a texture created by simultaneously varying a single melody. So again, you might find this most often in traditional music, folk music. Um, but that one's really interesting, I think, for um, a starting point. But we'll look at that later on. So with regards to recording and producing music, we also have a lot of control over three other key elements of texture, volume, frequency and panning. So we have tools to get into detailed balancing with all three of these and in personal and unique ways too. Now, it must be said that obviously if we're doing a live performance with an orchestra or with a band, we do make decisions about panning and volume and even frequency in terms of where we place people on the stage and their relationship to each other. But when we're looking at a recording and producing music, we have so much control over this um, that it's kind of crazy. So, for example, we can bring seemingly tiny or quiet sounds unnaturally forward in our mix just to increase their volume. Um, and we could also alter the frequencies of the sound to create depth. For example, lower frequencies travel longer distances than higher ones, which are absorbed more easily by the air. So, therefore, I could make this tiny sound feel closer by increasing the higher frequencies too. And lastly, I could play with where the listener perceives this sound by, in one instance, having one voicing right in the centre of the stereo spectrum and in another having multiple voicings spaced left and right or all around if working with binaural or ambisonic reproduction too. Then we would have all these same considerations to make and balancing all the sonic elements of the piece too. And we have so many tools for manipulating texture within music production that go even farther than pure traditional composition. But just to wrap up this brief intro to texture, I want to share a passage from Lucy Fife Donaldson's book, Texture in Film, because it's a poetic but very practical take on this discussion. She says, and I quote, If something can be said to have texture, it is not flat or made up of one note. To describe a narrative or a character as having texture is to say that a story or character contains a richness, detail, complexity. Texture is made up of parts, of strands, of intermeshing, of warp and weft. The sounds made by instruments singly making one part of the palette of the soundscape, the combination of different timbres enlarges and intensifies it. To look at the overall fabric, the total picture involves scrutinising the interaction of the detail, the threads of narrative, the rhythmic relations between visual style, sound and action, the pattern arising out of a horizontal movement or unfolding of narrative action. So I think there's so much that we can take from Donaldson's words here with regards to producing music. The notion of strands and intermeshing, the combination of different timbres intensifying the overall soundscape, patterns that arise and narratives that unfold. All of these are really useful frameworks to think about making music, especially producing music. And what comes through so clearly from Donaldson's ideas here is that texture is not flat. It has depth, it has breadth, and the texture is the coming together of details. That being said, it is possible to get into a bit of a rut with regards to texture, almost going through the motions. So now let's look at three common texture misconceptions that could be keeping you stuck experimenting with texture in your music. So misconception number one, texture is mainly about layering up and repeating loops. 
There's some interesting discussions going on these days about how composing and producing music inside of a door has changed the form and texture of music. Just to clarify, a door is a digital audio workstation like Pro Tools, GarageBand, Logic, Ableton, etc. Nowadays, this is how most people are producing music and certainly how most people start. So how does making music, often totally from scratch, inside of a door, change the way we might think about texture? Well, there's an interesting article in Brian Daly's Harmonic Distortion blog called The Door and the End of Time, where he discusses exactly this. Inside, Daly explains, and this is a bit of a long quote, but bear with me. The door has affected many aspects of music, but I think the fundamental change is the ancient relationship between time and music. At the simplest level, music is a sequence of sounds played one after another. The relationship of those sounds to each other in time is what creates melody and rhythm. A simple illustration of how tightly time and music are connected is that we generally think about a piece of music as having a beginning, middle and end. This corresponds to our perception of time as linear. The beginning is always first, then the middle, then the end. Daly goes on to say that contemporary pop music is now produced almost exclusively in a door using loop-based and cut-and-paste techniques. This has led to some distinctive qualities that present unique challenges and opportunities for music creators. The most obvious characteristic of music produced in a door is that it is so easy to loop and repeat sound that the resulting music can feel static and monotonous. Introducing the variation necessary to create a sense of movement requires specific attention. This shows an interesting contrast with the previous era of linear tape-based recording. Large sums of money were spent on pop productions, getting a chorus to sound the same every time it happened in a song. This was difficult and time-consuming. Now it is trivially easy. Now the problem for producers is to introduce enough variation into a production to make the arrangement engaging to a listener. And I should say he has an explanation mark there. So Daly's point here is that the door has changed how and where we instinctively engage with sound. It is so easy to loop, stack and layer sound that other considerations of texture become an afterthought, if a thought at all. In fact, some of the students I've taught on music production degrees find it so, so excruciating to step away from the loop, to move beyond the repetition and building up of rhythmic patterns that build to a predictable drop and then rise to the inevitable final crescendo. This limited and rigid approach to music production does offer a predictable and safe way to make something we recognise as electronic music. However, it is also pretty limiting. It's much harder to make music that is truly satisfying and engaging to a listener. Don't get me wrong, it does happen. And I have almost exclusively produced music and sound inside a door myself. But my point is we need to be aware of how this technology might be affecting how we make music and our textual reflexes as creators and producers so that we can think about music far beyond looping up and stacking repeated musical ideas. The second misconception about texture is that texture is an afterthought. It's true that texture is a vital consideration when it comes to the mixing of your track, and this is often a later stage in the recording and production process. 
volume, frequency panning, these are all textural considerations, but other types of texture can even be a catalyst for writing music, let alone during the recording and production process. For example, just the idea of writing a heterophonic piece of music is a textural starting point of inspiration. This could be the starting point for which a whole new piece of music takes shape. It could also be the desire to create a piece of music that somehow sounds like rain. This will require lots of textural considerations as springboards into writing and production. So I think this really emphasises that texture really can be the first point of creation, not just the final phase of pulling a track together. And my third texture misconception is texture is complicated. And again, don't get me wrong, it definitely can be. Remember how we talked about pulling all these details together simultaneously to create something with depth and breadth and even life. God complex, anyone. But remember how at the start of this episode, I compared it to cooking and how with quality ingredients, you can make really simple food taste delicious. Well, the same is true with producing music. Simple can be delicious to our ears if we have quality ingredients to begin with. Are you cooking with Spam or Wagyu beef? Okay, I know it's 2021. Are you cooking with co-op sunflower oil or premium Italian extra virgin olive oil? Let's keep it vegan. You get my point. I'll stop with this analogy. But it's important to consider the materials you're making music with and only use as much as you really need and really get intentional about what you're using and how. So I want to just share some ideas moving forward about how to start experimenting with texture in your music. And this is a big question and it's vast. Clearly texture is many things and experimenting with it in your production approach can take a multitude of directions. But perhaps a good place to start is with avoiding the common texture misconceptions we just outlined before. So firstly, don't fall into the trap of thinking texture is just about layering and stacking blocks of different sounds, samples and instruments on top of each other. By all means do so, but just don't stop there. If this is your comfort zone, experiment more with things like depth perception or panning or even totally subverting the form of your music. Stepping outside of looping musical and sonic motifs that predictably build up over a three and a half minute track is a great place to start. Like Brian Daly states, this can become static and monotonous. What happens if you begin with a dense, climactic texture and then gradually reduce this to one single sonic line by the end of the piece, for example. Secondly, use texture as a starting point for your writing, not just in the middle or the end of your recording and production process. And if you don't write music yourself, try thinking about texture before you start recording or producing other people's music. This could mean using mono, poly or heterophonic textures instead of the more common homophony we hear in most pop music or conventional music, Just doing this could produce significantly different textures in your work and give you really fresh insights into making music. Or it could be that you make certain decisions about panning or frequency before you even begin recording so that you can have more intention about the atmosphere you're looking to create using texture in your music. And lastly, perhaps rather than adding lots and lots of different instruments, melodies and harmonies and samples... You can experiment with getting as simple a texture as possible, but using really good sonic ingredients. 
This might mean you spend more time really crafting three or four instrumental or sonic parts. Maybe you really perfect your recording technique for capturing one instrument. Or perhaps you spend lots of time processing just one single sample. Or maybe you even just experiment with using an instrument in a new way. Getting really good quality sonic ingredients to begin with that you've selected with care and intention for their textural potential could enable you to get amazing results within a seemingly simple track. That was quite a textural voyage. It's clear to see that exploring texture in music and sound is a universe of potential. And when it comes to recording and production, we have so many tools at our fingertips to easily and intuitively adventure into these textural galaxies and solar systems. Texture is big, texture is vast, and that could feel overwhelming, dear listener. But like Lucy Fife Donaldson explained before, to look at the overall fabric, the total picture involves scrutinising the interaction of the detail, the threads of narrative. And so if we are to get to know texture, to play with it and delight in it, we also need to start with the details and then observe how they interplay. When recording and producing music, we have so many textural tools at our fingertips. How to balance the light and dark of melody, harmony, tempo, instrumentation, timbre, as well as crafting frequency, spatiality and dynamics too. All of these are decisions we make each time we record and make music. But we also need to be aware of how the characteristics of making music with modern day technology, like Inside a Door, might influence how we think about texture and form, as Brian Daly describes. And drawing even further from Daly's article, how is our perception of time and music and sound changing through our recording and production technologies? Is time, in fact, a texture? Can we craft this texture more intentionally? And if there's one final thought and something I still don't really feel I've gotten to the heart of in this episode yet, it's this. Texture is always a balance of contradictions. It's about both light and dark, surprise and predictability, surface and depth. It is always about something that is both, many and none of these things all at once. When we make music, we are dealing with the interplay, the unfolding, the shifting and the collapsing of some kind of textural ecosystem. Each part is simultaneously defined by its relation to other elements and as its own entity too. Texture is relational. It is never a linear, monotone narrative. So just like a good novelist or filmmaker does with their protagonist... Give us deeper sonic characters with rich and far-reaching narratives and give them relationships that sizzle and combust. Give your listeners something to bite into, dear listener. And remember, this week we're celebrating the female DIY musician tribe, reaching a thousand members. So if you're one of them, I want to say a massive thank you for making it such a special space for female musicians to come together. And if you're not yet in the tribe, join us. It's free, private, and there's so many interesting weekly discussions on all things music with regular inspirational pokes to help you keep making music that lights you up. To find out more and become a member, just go to femalediymusician.com forward slash tribe. That's femalediymusician.com forward slash tribe. Now, boy, do I have a treat for you next week. 
because I'm joined by journalist, broadcaster and author Rosie Millard to discuss something that just might be keeping you up at night, dear listener, creative failure. Rosie, who has already had a successful career reporting on the arts in the UK and beyond, and is also chair of BBC Children in Need, presented a fascinating three-part series on BBC Radio 4 earlier in the year that caught my attention. Inside, she talked with three artists who, despite being talented, technically proficient and hardworking, haven't ever quite broken into the wider critical acclaim they'd hoped for starting out. I thought this would be such a valuable discussion to have on the podcast, and I'm delighted that Rosie agreed to sit down and chat with me about this fascinating topic. We ended up chewing over the question of where the line is between failure and success and how you square it with yourself if you never quite climb to the heights of your artistic ambitions. Trust me, if you're grappling with this question of success, failure and everything in between as an artist, you do not want to miss my chat with Rosie. But till then, take care and I'll catch you in the next episode. Girls Twiddling Knobs is hosted and produced by me, Isabel Anderson, with production support from Francesca O'Connor and is a female DIY musician production. So, how do you like that episode, dear listener? If you loved it, and you know someone else who would love it too, be a good friend and share it with them. Go on, spread the girls' twiddling knobs love.